in Thyatira. But this is the church of the Laodiceans. He distinguishes this church in a very unique way. We'll, we'll touch on that in just a moment in our review. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee, to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke, and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. And have sat down with my Father in His throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so tonight, this is part four of our study of the Church of Laodicea. Lessons from the seven churches. Now this is only... Part 4 of Laodicea. I don't know how many parts we've had in this entire study. But a lot more than four, I can promise you. This is just part 4 of Laodicea. And that's what we're going to talk about here tonight. The Lord will help us for just a little while. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's ask Him to help us. And again, I do need God's help here tonight. I need His touch in a very special way. If you would pray for your pastor, let's let's talk to the Lord right now, everybody. Lord, in this place, I thank you for the word of God. And I've got to have your help tonight. I need your counsel. I need your strength. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. I need your grace. I can't do this without you. Tonight, Jesus, just touch my mind. 
Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you would allow me to do a little review here tonight just to remind you of some things. First of all, Laodicea was well known in ancient times, at the time period at which this letter was written, Laodicea was a very well-known city, known mostly for its wealth. It was one of the wealthiest cities of its day, and that was because of a couple of things. Um, one, it was a financial center. Uh, I guess kind of the New York City of its day. It was also a center for uh, industries such as textiles. They manufactured garments there that were highly sought after and well known. In that regard, I guess it was the, I don't even know, Paris of today. Um, did you say something else? Oh, possibly. Oh, I thought maybe I'd missed it. I, I don't even know where fashion comes from today. But uh, in, in my day, uh, when I was young, it was Paris was the fashion capital, I guess. Um, I don't know what is today, but uh, also it was a center for a number of medicines that were created, and uh, and so they had a lot going for them as a city. They were diverse in many ways. Um as far as industry was concerned. And so that's what helped them to become such a strong, wealthy city. One of the problems was they did not have a good water supply that was local to them. So Archaeologists have found that they developed a very intricate aqueduct system that piped water into Laodicea. It was, Laodicea was situated between the city of Hierapolis and the city of Colossae. Hierapolis was very well known for its hot springs, the boiling, bubbling water was considered to be therapeutic. People would go there and bathe at Hierapolis because they felt like the hot springs brought healing. On the other side of Laodicea was the city of Colossae was the city to which the Colossian epistle was written. 
Colossae was known for its water as well, but it was not hot springs. Instead, flowing from Colossae was very cold, clear, refreshing water. Water that people sought after as drinking water because it was so cold. It brought refreshment. Hierapolis with its hot springs brought healing. Colossae with its cold springs brought refreshment. In the middle of those two was Laodicea. And there are those who believe that this aqueduct system that came into Laodicea actually tapped into the hot springs of Hierapolis and into the cold springs of Colossae and merged together before coming into Laodicea and the two waters would cancel each other out so that the water that reached Laodicea was not hot for healing and it was not cold for refreshment. It was just lukewarm. Now whether that's the case or not, I don't know. I'm just telling you what some men think. But regardless what we do know, we do know about the hot springs and the cold springs on either side. And that's an interesting piece of information when you consider what Jesus said to Laodicea. You're not hot like Hierapolis. And you're not cold like Colossae. You're not really offering anything to anybody except something lukewarm, something tepid, something that's really not any good for anybody. And the Lord said to them, this is the Riggin Revised Version, but He said to them, it makes me sick. That's really what He said. Because when he said, the King James says that he said, I will spew you out of my mouth. The Greek word there is literally vomit. When I taste the lukewarm waters you offer, I want to vomit. It'd be better for you to be hot and offer healing. Or be cold and offer refreshment. But you do neither. Now, the name Laodicea, we talked about, it means people's rights or the judgment of the people. This is why I pointed out to you again that in this case, the Lord addresses this church in a different way than any of the other churches. The others, it was the church in that city. But here it is the church of the people. And he did that because that was what was going on in Laodicea from all we can tell. The church was ruled by the people themselves. Now that's become a very popular form of church government in 2000 and 
22. In fact, it's been a popular form of church government for a number of years. It was it became popular in the 1900s to simply let the people rule the church. The problem with that is that people are fickle. Now, don't think I'm pointing my finger at you because I am a people too. But people are fickle. And the desires and the whims of people change. And if you're going to try to govern a church based on the wishes of the people, then you're not going to have anything consistent You're going to have churches that change with the times. Churches that, can I say it, invite you for a Sunday of a pajama party. That happened here in Kansas City. Uh, churches that have Super Bowl Sunday. We're just all going to get together and watch the Super Bowl. That happens. Even among churches that call themselves apostolic. When you're just trying to please the people, then you're not trying to please God. The Apostle Paul said that. said, if I do seek to please men, then am I not the servant of Christ? Our goal, I'm sorry if this offends you. Well, I'm not. I am sorry that it would offend you, I guess is what I should say. But it is not the job of the church to please the people. It's the job of the church to please God. Whether the people are happy or not, we need God to be happy. Oh, praise God. And it's interesting that this church that was run by the people is the one church to whom the Lord did not give any words of commendation. The, this is the only letter of the seven that has only correction. The Lord did not say one good thing about Laodicea. Not one. By contrast, he didn't say one bad thing about Philadelphia. But he couldn't find one good thing to say about Laodicea. I wonder how many churches on the face of the earth today, Christian churches, Pentecostal churches, 
apostolic church. If the Lord were to, to direct a letter to them today, I wonder how many of them the Lord would not have one good thing to say. I'm telling you, church, I, I, I don't have the energy and strength to convey it the way I want to tonight. But I, I've, I've had men calling me of late that, like me, they are very stirred up about what they are seeing that's being passed off as church. What's being promoted as worship. Listen, you, you, you don't understand. You're sheltered from a lot of what's going on out there. Now, thanks to fake book and I can't even think of a name to give Instagram right now. But, um, you have the opportunity of seeing things there that are so contrary to everything we have ever known as a church. Please do not become enamored by what you see happening in the Pentecostal movement. I don't care who it is. I don't care what his name is. I don't care how large his congregation is. Don't become enamored by theatrics. I feel like I could do some preaching right about now if, if you'll just help me. But listen to me, saints. I, I don't want to spend my time attacking everyone else. I don't. But if I wasn't concerned about you having to see all of these things, I wouldn't say anything. But I know you're going to see it come across your feed. But I'm watching as the trend, even among oneness apostolic churches, is to blacken their sanctuary. And turn out the lights and get show lights up on the stage and movie screens everywhere. And, and let's get the latest fads in music that we can find. And let's do a little bunny hop and bounce to the music and say that we've had church. And preaching has ceased to be preaching. And it's become entertainment. Now, I, some of you may have heard this. If you heard it, then it's a good thing I'm 
addressing it. If you haven't heard it, thank God. Very recently at a large gathering that used to be strong conservative group. I just listened yesterday to some story that was told. Supposedly a man on an island somewhere where there was no missionary. A bird landed on his house. And he was going to kill the bird and eat it until it started speaking to him in his native language. And said, I'm a messenger from God. And there's only one God and his name is Jesus. And you need to receive the Holy Ghost to be saved. And this bird began to preach the message to him. And the whole crowd was shouting as this man told this story. And a preacher friend of mine sent me the, the text. A group of, of men. Well, I don't mind telling you. It was, it was the Balch Springs boys. Somebody sent us an audio of this. And he said, what do you think about this? I told someone, I said, I don't know about the foul messenger. But the preacher's a dodo. Now let me tell you why that's so wrong. Because the plan of God is, how can they hear? Without a preacher. I know that God used Balaam's donkey. And can God make a bird talk? Of course he could. But this much I also know. When God sent the message to Cornelius, he sent an angel down there. And the angel did not tell Cornelius how to be saved. The angel said, go find a preacher. Even an angel could not preach this message. It had to be done by a preacher. When the Lord himself knocked Saul of Tarsus to the ground and blinded him, the, the, the God of heaven did not preach the gospel to Saul of Tarsus. He said, go into the city and find a preacher. Now, if the angels are not going to preach the gospel and Jesus is not going to preach the gospel, you're not going to convince me that he sent some bird down to the earth to preach the gospel. Ah. Now, I'm just telling you, that's some bird brain stuff. I'm trying, I'm trying. Saints, really, I mean, this stuff is out there. And, and what saddens me more than anything is not that the man would get up and say it, but that all of these people would be shouting while he's saying it. Excited to hear about this wonderful miracle that took place. That is so contrary to what the scripture teaches. 
listen, I'm really not off my subject. This is the kind of thing that would have fit right in in Laodicea. Because that would please the people. We're going to tell a story that will please the people. We're going to tell a story that will excite the people. Lord, I, I, I'm not going to get very far. I, I don't mind telling you, when I got to church and I was feeling pretty rough, and I'm still not feeling great, but I did call Brother Goff and Brother Hilton in, and I said, guys, I'm just telling you now, you, you have no idea what I'm feeling and what I'm going through at the moment. I said, would please, would one of you, if I get to being just stupid, just could you please get up there and save my face? Jump up there and with a microphone and do something that will make some sense and don't, don't let me make a fool out of myself tonight. So who knows? I, I was sent that same recording by another preacher and he ended up calling me today and he said, he said, this reminds me of a story I heard years ago that was circulating in Pentecost. And this story was about some people in Siberia that they said, preacher was going around telling everybody that polar bears brought these people sack lunches to keep them from starving. And everybody was shouting over these polar bears bringing sack lunches. And this preacher said, this preacher that called me today, he said, my grandpa knew the man that was telling that story. Very close to him. He said, one day my grandpa had the opportunity to have lunch with the man. And he said, let me tell you a story. And, and I don't remember the details. I wish I could remember them all. But it was something to the effect. He, he, said, he said, a friend of mine and I went, went out fishing not long ago. And this was a number of years ago. He said, we went out fishing. And he said, it was really dark out there where we were. We were in our boat. And he said, all we had was one of these um, oil lamps that, that burns the wick. You know, he said, that's all we had for light. He said, we had that in our boat. And he said, man, he said, we hooked a fish, a big fish. He said, we pulled it in. He said, that fish somehow got a hold of our lamp. And he said, it just flopped right off the boat and took our lamp with it. And he said, two or three days later, we went back out fishing again. And he said, we caught that same fish. And he still had our lamp. And he said, the lamp was still burning. And he said that other preacher looked at him and gave him this look like you're lying. And, and my friend's grandfather said, I tell you what, I'll blow out that lamp if you'll take away those sack lunches. <laughs> Saints, I... God help us in this day and age. What's wrong with just preaching the word? Why do we need the sensationalism? Why do we need all of these far out stories? Why can't we just preach the word? That's what the apostle Paul commanded Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 
He didn't say anything about telling about polar bears and parakeets. Help us, Jesus. I've spent most of my time and I haven't even got through the review. The problem was this was the church of the Laodiceans. It belonged to the people, did not belong to God. It was not God's church, it was their church. So, whatever would please them is what went on in that church. I'm going to tell you the same thing goes on today. There are men who refuse to preach things that they know the scripture says. Because they're afraid they're going to run people off. So you know what they're doing? They're trying to please the people. You know what that means? That means the people are ruling that church. So I've got to try to get at least one scripture Spent all this time talking about how we need the word, and I haven't even gotten to any of the scriptures yet. So I'm going to try to get there. But as we began looking at the letter in the previous lessons, um, we first looked at how the Lord identified himself. He said he is the amen, which was reiterating to the church that whatever he said will come to pass. He goes on to say he is the faithful and true witness. So he was letting them know that the way I see you is the way you really are. My witness is faithful and true. He let them know that he is the beginning of the creation of God, which we explained to you simply identified the fact that he caused everything to exist. He is the one who began the creative process. And because he was the creator, that makes him the master of everything. So he was, he was laying down his authority before he ever started into this letter. As I said, this is a letter of only correction. It does offer a cure, but there is no commendation. And then he identified their problem. He said, you're lukewarm. You're not cold. You're not hot. You don't bring healing. You don't bring refreshing. And therefore, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, he then begins, and this is where we're going to pick up with tonight's lesson for the few minutes I have left. But he begins now to explain to them how they got into this condition. What brought it about? And, and listen to me, church. The one thing I've been trying to stress throughout this series of lessons is there's a reason why these letters appear in the Bible. And that reason is the Lord wants us to learn from them. The things that He condemned, He wants us to not do. The things that He commended, He wants us to do. As I pointed out in probably the very first lesson of this entire series, not just Laodicea, but the series, seven is God's number of completion, perfection, 
So I believe that when you take all seven of these letters, you see what a complete and perfect church would look like. If it avoided the things that God condemned and embraced the things that He commended. And so he's letting Laodicea know, here's how you arrive there. And by doing that, he's letting us know, this is what you have to be careful of. That if you aren't careful about this, you're going to end up right where Laodicea was. So let's look at it. This is where we begin some new territory. The next 20 minutes, I'll, I'll see how much I can cover. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 17. Revelation 3, verse 17. He identifies the cause of this problem. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Now, notice the very first word of this, because. Because. So he's telling them, this is the reason why you are in this lukewarm condition. You're in this lukewarm condition because you say, You say, I'm rich. You say, I'm increased with goods. You say, I have need of nothing. That's the way you look at yourself. He said, but you don't even know what the real situation is. You have deceived yourself into thinking you are much better off than you really are. You say. Let me just, let me just put it simply for you tonight. You want to know what their sickness was? You want to know what their disease was? It was pride. They were proud. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I don't need anything. They were proud. In the physical sense, they had everything they needed. They were wealthy. They had good jobs. They were highly respected. You tell someone you're from Laodicea, and folks were impressed. I even mentioned to you that Laodicea was so well off that after they were destroyed by an earthquake in 60 A.D., Rome tried to help them, and they said, no, we don't need your help. We've got enough money. We can rebuild ourselves without your help. But it wasn't just Rome whose help they refused. Spiritually speaking, the church was refusing the help of God. The prevailing attitude in the city seemed to be, we can take care of ourselves. We don't need any outside force. And that attitude carried into the church. And you know how it manifests itself? 
I don't need to pray. Oh, let's see. I, I, I woke up late this morning. It's either breakfast or prayer. I'm hungry. I'm going to have to eat. I don't need prayer. I don't have to pray. Now, we may not say those words, but every day that we spend prayerlessly, we've shown that that's really our attitude. I don't have to have God's help today. I'll make it without Him today. Now again, we don't think that way. We don't say that. But unfortunately, too many people live that way. Laodicea said, look, we've got medicine. We've got clothing. We've got finances. What else do we need? I'll tell you what you need. You need God. Because all of those things you have will perish. And when they perish, what happens to you? When you die, how much will your money mean to you? Hello? See, a lot of folks get so wrapped up in their job. They spend so many hours on their job. They lose their family. They lose out with God. They lose everything else because they're so caught up in trying to live high until it becomes more important to them than their spiritual walk. That's what happened in Laodicea. They needed to understand what we've all quoted. Zechariah 4, 6. Read that for me. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of this the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Unto Zerubbabel, uh -huh. saying, Not by might. Not by might. Nor by power. Nor by power. But by my but spirit, by my spirit saith, the Lord of hosts. saith the Lord of hosts. I'm telling you, we need to understand that without Him, we can do nothing. What's John 15, 5 say? I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can Without do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Saints of God, let us never forget that. Let us never forget that. I don't care what's going on. Without him, we can do nothing. I don't care how talented you are. Without him, you're not going to do anything. I don't care how intelligent you are. Without him, you're not going to do anything. Well, I don't care how wealthy you are. Without him, you're not going to do anything. We need him. Sadly, in Laodicea, the religious service continued. Not out of a love for God. 
not out of a desire to get close to God, but to appease their conscience and to make them feel saved. And so the Lord just addresses it and says to them, you think you're rich. You think your little lukewarm lip service once a week is good enough. You think that the routine that you're going through is good enough. You think that spiritually you're as wealthy as you are financially. You think that you can survive on your own ability, your own performance, your own charisma. That's what you think about you. But let me tell you what I think about you. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Oh, now, let's, let's think about that string of adjectives there. Any one of them would put them in bad shape. But Jesus is saying, you got all this combined. Let's think about it. You're wretched. You are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. Now, you know, the poor only had one form of income. Charity. The poor only had one job. Begging. Hello? And Jesus just said to this wealthy church, you're poor. So how are you going to get out of that poor condition? You're going to have to beg. You're going to have to look to somebody else. To help you out of this. He said you're not only poor. You're blind. Now look. For the poor. If, if they were just poor. They might be able to find work somewhere. And do something. For the blind. In New Testament times, there weren't many jobs for the blind. They certainly had to depend on charity. They certainly had to beg just to get their next meal. There was no other hope for them. So Jesus said, you're not just blind. I'm not just poor. You're blind. And he said, let me tell you something else. You are naked. Do you understand? Because they're blind, they don't even realize who is seeing their shame.
They can walk by a mirror if they're blind and have no clue what the rest of the world is seeing because they're blind. And this was the Lord's assessment of this church. Because you see, they had it all in their head, but nothing in their heart. And so Jesus did not hold back. And again, I'm telling you, this whole picture of Jesus as this limp-wristed, effeminate, soft, sissy was not the Jesus of the Bible. He stood up to this whole church and he said, you are wretched, you are miserable, you're poor and blind and naked. Do you know what he's doing? It's blow by blow. He is giving them one punch to the gut after another. To people that are so proud. Get this. These are proud people. And Jesus said, you're wretched. Mm. You're miserable. Mm. Do, do you understand? I mean, he's just drawing back and hitting them with everything he's got. He doesn't let them even catch their breath before he hits them again. But do you know why? It's not because he hated them. In fact, we read it in our text, as many as I love, I rebuke. He wasn't doing it out of anger and hatred. He still loved these people. But he knew that just giving them a sweet little message wasn't going to do the job. They needed somebody to slap them in the face. Got a feeling Jesus wouldn't get too many revivals in 2022. I got a feeling he would not be the most popular and sought-after speaker at conferences and conventions in this day and age. Because he's not going to get up and tell bird stories. Saints, it ought to be obvious. Our opinion of ourselves, even our church, is not necessarily God's opinion. The way we see things is not necessarily the way God sees them. So we can justify, in fact, Brother Riley, I spoke to Brother Riley on the phone today, and he told me he, he found out about a church that had just completely shut down, and they had a whole library, and they just were giving away their whole library of books. And he said, man, I got boxes and boxes and boxes of books. And he said, I'm trying to work my way through all these books. And he said, there was one book that he, they had about four copies of this same book in there. And, and he said, I've got one sitting on my desk with the cover pointing out towards whoever's going to sit there and me counsel them. And he said, I got like four more copies. I said, man, send me one. 
the title of the book was something to the effect of, Yes, Lord, I have sinned, but I've got a lot of excellent excuses. I said, I need a copy of that book. I need a copy of that book. I've sinned, but i got a lot of excellent excuses. If we're not careful, that really is the mindset we develop. Yeah, I know I did wrong. I've, I've dealt with folks who had this idea and attitude. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. So I'll just do wrong and then say I'm sorry. If we're not careful, we'll get this opinion that, yeah, I've got some problems, but i got a good excuse for it. This is why I have this problem. My dad was this way, and my granddad was this way, and so this is just who I am. We can have all these excuses and justify ourselves. But we need to be careful and realize that the way we're seeing ourselves may not be the way God sees us. What's Romans 12 and 3 say? For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought Don't to think. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. But to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Be careful that your opinion of yourself is not higher than God's opinion of you. Now part of the reason why we get there, and I'm going to close with this scripture because the next part we start getting into the cure, and I've got more notes on that than anything, so we won't get there. We'll have a part five on Laodicea, Lord willing. But let me give you one more scripture here, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. For we dare Musicians not. Musicians would come, 2 Corinthians 10 and 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Now listen to what Paul said. He said, there are those that commend themselves. There are those that compare themselves among themselves. Well, I'm not like so-and-so. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, I'm not doing what so-and-so does. And we start comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves among ourselves. But listen, your brother, your sister is not the standard by which you're going to be judged. Maybe you're not as bad as they are, but they're not the standard. It's not a question of whether you're as bad as they are. The question is, are you as good as he is? And can I just tell you the answer to that right now? In case you don't know. You're not, and I'm not either. And so that's the standard. I want to be like him. 
doesn't matter where anybody else is on the scale. I want to be like him. And all I know is I got a long way to go to get there. So whatever anybody else is doing is irrelevant for where I am. I'm not going to be judged based on whether or not I'm better than someone else. Well, hallelujah. He is going to get out His Word. And we're going to be compared with what the Word of God says. Because the Word was God. We're going to be compared to Him till we all come into the unity of the faith. He goes on to talk about the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. That's our goal. That's our standard. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like Him. All through my journey from earth to glory, I only ask to be like Him. Not that I can be better than my brother. Not that I can be better than my sister. I want to be like Him. And the fact of the matter is, if I find somebody that I say, well, I'm not as bad as they are, well, maybe not in one area, but they may be doing better than you in some other area. Listen, I've found, I've known of folks that were critical of the standards that somebody would keep. But boy, did they have a problem when it came to gossip. So they say, well, I'm not looking at the way they do. Look at the way they do. Look at the way. Yeah, but listen to the way you run your mouth. And these others may, they may have some issues, some things they need to straighten up. But one thing about it, I've never heard them say a bad word about someone else. And so this is the problem when we start measuring ourselves among ourselves. That's what Laodicea did. Look at us. We're wealthy. We're rich. We're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. Oh, really? The fact of the matter is you have need of everything. Because you're miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked. You need everything because you're looking at the wrong standard. We'll talk more about this in another lesson. Let's stand tonight. I know this one's not nearly as exciting as Philadelphia. But we need it just as much as we need Philadelphia. Because we got to know where the pitfalls are. We got to avoid those pitfalls.
If we're going to be like Philadelphia, we got to know how to avoid being like Laodicea. Oh, hallelujah. Why don't we lift our hands? Let's love the Lord together, everybody, right now. Lord Jesus, we need you.